You are listening to Press Church Podcast. Please enjoy this week's message. I want to kind of continue. We're talking, it's kind of a, a loose, sloppy type sermon series this whole month that we've just been kind of talking about Thanksgiving from a very high, very different type of level. That we're trying to encourage you as a Christian you might not have anything to be thankful for on this earth. You might say, I don't have family, I don't have friends, I hate my job, I hate my spouse, I hate my dog, I have nothing to be thankful for. And if that's you and you're the thanks, the Scrooge of Thanksgiving, this week, this month, I've been trying to show you some things as a Christian, what you can be thankful for can't be thankful for anything out there, then there's something in here as a Christian, as a churchgoer, as a God follower, there's something that you can be thankful for. So I've shown you a couple things over the last couple of weeks, some things as a Christian you could be thankful for. The title of my sermon today is, if it's good enough for him, then it's good enough for me. If it's good enough for him, then it's good enough for me. In 1 Thessalonians 5.18, Paul is writing to the church of Thessalonica, a Gentile church. So if he's writing to them, he's writing to you because you're a Gentile. And it says, In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Say, for me. For me. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for me. It doesn't say with everything, give thanks. It says in everything. I'm not supposed to give thanks when I get sick, but in the middle of my sickness is when I give thanks. I don't give thanks because I'm overcome with debt. I have no money. I just got laid off from my job. They took my car. They took my dog. They took my house. I'm not supposed to give thanks when all those things happen. But in the moment of those things is when I give thanks that I serve a prosperous God, a God who owns a cattle on a thousand hills, a God who's so rich that he paves his streets with gold. I'm not supposed to give thanks for everything, but I'm supposed to give thanks in the middle of everything, knowing that God is on my side. And how am I supposed to give thanks? Well, it's in Christ Jesus. It's always about his son. It's always about Jesus. This world is a broken world. This world is a frustrating world. This world is still being controlled by the devil, He still has free reign over this world, but he doesn't have free reign over you, and he doesn't have free reign over me, because as soon as you say yes to Jesus, you receive the authority of Jesus, and it says, at the name of Jesus, every knee must bow, and every tongue must confess that he is Lord, and because The same spirit that rose Christ from the dead dwells inside of me. The devil, although he has control of the world, although he's doing things out there, he might try and do things against me. He can't succeed because God is on my side and God is the victory. But the reality is we are a part of this earth and there are 
three positions that each and every one of us are in. We can unify ourselves by putting ourselves in three different categories. One, we are currently in a storm. Praise God. Amen, pastor, keep preaching. Number one, you're either finding yourself currently in a storm. Well, I guess we're all in a storm right now, but it's blowing through. That there's something going on in your life. The water and the waves are beating you down, whether in your finances, whether in your health, whether in your relationships. You're in the middle of a storm, and you're trying to bail out the water. You're calling out to Jesus. You're doing whatever you can to get through that storm. Number two, you just left a storm. Congratulations, you made it. God's on your side. He brought you out of that storm. A miracle showed up. An angel showed up. God showed up. Somebody showed up. And you came out of that storm. You thought it was going to take you down. You thought you were going to die. You thought you were going to lose your life. But you came out of that storm because God is on your side. Or you're in position number three. You're about to go into a storm. You don't know it yet. Everything's going well, but there's rumblings. You hear it. But don't fear. Don't get worried. Oh, no, I'm about to be in a storm. Everything's good. I don't know. Where's the storm? Ah, run away. No, no, no. It's okay. Knowing who's in the boat with you. But as humans, we can all put ourselves in those three categories. You're currently in a storm. You're trusting God and you're standing on his word and you're fighting the battles and you're believing and you're going to see the victory of it. Or you've just come out of the storm and you're telling people about this miraculous working God, about how good God is, about how much God loves you, that we overcame the devil, it says in Revelations, by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. Or we're about to go into a storm, the rumblings of war. The rumblings of the chaos of our finances, the rumblings of the chaos of this great free state country of America, the rumblings of something going on in your marriage or your health. Oh, what's this? Oh, my knees. Oh, what? what's that? Oh. But in John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus writes, and he says, these things I have spoken to you. That in me, in who? In Jesus, you may have peace. Praise God right there. That's a good story right there. If I'm in Jesus, that means no matter what storm I'm about to go in, I just left or I'm standing in, peace is right next to me. In the world, you will have tribulation. Oh, Jesus, you could have stopped with that first sentence, couldn't you? You could have just said, in me, you're going to have peace. And if you're in me, you'll never have tribulation. But that's not what Jesus said. If you're in this world, you're going to have tribulation. Now, that would have been terrible if Jesus just left it right there. In me, you'll have peace. If you're in this world, you're going to have tribulation. Come on, guys, let's go. Woo, let's have fun. But that's not also where he leaves us. In this world, you have tribulation. But be of good cheer. Why? Because I 
have overcome this world. So it doesn't matter if I'm in the middle of the storm and the boat is sinking and the water's up to my neck. doesn't matter if I'm coming out of the storm or I'm going into the storm. I can overcome. I can have peace. I can be thankful because God is on my side. He's bringing the peace. And if he overcame the world and he's on my side, that means I'm going to overcome it as well. That's good right there. And that's just my intro. Praise God. So we're going to look today at a couple different stories of Jesus giving thanks. And if it's good enough for him, then it's good enough for me. And if Jesus gave thanks before a situation, then I need to learn how to give thanks. I need to learn how to stop in the moment of knowing, uh-oh, I'm feeling some, some water drops. I'm feeling the wind pick up. I'm feeling the wind, the wind change, and instead of freaking out, instead of running and getting my umbrella, instead of batching down the hatches and trying to get everything secure, the first thing I need to do, like Jesus, is give thanks. And if it's good enough for Jesus, then it's good enough for me, and it's good enough for you that we learn to give thanks like Jesus. The first truth we're going to talk about that you can learn to give thanks when you have a need. Learn to give thanks when you have a need. John chapter 6, verse 11. And Jesus took the loaves, and when Jesus had given what? Thanks. He distributed them to the disciples. And the disciples, to those sitting down, and likewise of the fish, as how much? As much as they wanted. This is... Just a snapshot of Jesus feeding the 5,000. Now, it's more than 5,000 because it says that it's just 5,000 men. And if you know anything about the old times, they like to have babies and they like to have a lot of babies. There was no TV. There was no football to watch your team lose or win, depending on what side you were on yesterday. You said, I'm just coming out of the storm. Why'd you bring that up again? He's feeding 5,000 men, who knows how many women and children. And he tells his disciples, you feed them. And the disciples go into panic mode. They say, we don't have enough money. Judas has been stealing all the money. We don't have any money to buy. We can't go to Chick-fil-A. How many nuggets can we buy? 500, 5,000? We don't have anything. And Jesus says, what do you have? They said, like a handful of loaves and, and a couple of fish. He said, that's all I need. He makes everybody sit down, and the first thing he does, he doesn't panic, he doesn't freak out, he doesn't do anything but give thanks. And right after he gives thanks, the miracle happens. And it's not just addition that happens, it's multiplication. It's not just, here's one loaf, see if that does anything. It goes from a handful of bread and a handful of fish to feeding five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten thousand people. Multiplication. Simply by Jesus giving thanks. Jesus feeds 4,000 people in Mark chapter 8, verse 6. I don't have that up there. You can write that down if you want to study later. And he gives thanks in the same scenario. He said, well, it worked once. Why not try it again? And he feeds 4,000 people. Now, after Jesus 
has fed the 5,000. He gets in a boat, and they go to the other side. This might, if I remember right, might be the time where Jesus walks on the water, and the disciples get there. Jesus gets there, and then the people show up. Now, John, the apostle, the disciple of Jesus, is the one writing this letter, and he's writing down the things that the Holy Spirit is reminding him and showing him that he's writing in regards to the stories. And look at a little bit further down in John chapter 6, verse 23. However, other boats came from Tiberias near the place where they ate bread after the Lord had given thanks. Now, isn't it interesting that the Holy Spirit inspired John to write just a couple of uh, sentences later? He should have wrote If I'm John, what I would have wrote, however, other boats came from Tiberias near the place where they were, where they ate the multiplied bread and fish that fed 10,000 people. That's what he should have said, right? I mean, he should have talked about the miracle. He should have talked about the multiplication. He should have talked about the thing that never happens. Got a loaf of bread at home that's getting low. And every time I reach in there, I'm eventually going to hit the, the back part of the bag. There's not more bread coming out of it. That's a, that's a miracle. Fish growing. But what he talks about, what the Holy Spirit reminds John to say, is he was at the place where the Lord had given thanks. If it's me writing it about my friend, remember John is the disciple whom Jesus loved, about my best friend, I want to talk about the miracle, the signs, the wonders, the big thing that he did. This is the place where 10,000 people potentially got fed. But what he writes about by inspiration of the Holy Spirit is this is where Jesus gave thanks. And by the way, we ate some bread. Isn't that beautiful? We need to learn to give thanks when there's a need. Matthew chapter 6, verses 31 through 34, Jesus is speaking. And he says, therefore, do not worry. Man, Jesus, can you give me a, can you go on with that sentence? Don't worry. And he gives us some examples. Whew, I can worry about all these other things. I just can't worry about these. Saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? Those are some pretty big questions. For after all these things the Gentiles seek. Now remember, Jesus at this time says in the scriptures that he was not sent but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. There was still a distinction between Jews and Gentiles. That doesn't happen until Acts chapter 10 when we get welcomed in to the new covenant. So Jesus is just speaking to the Jews right here. So that's why he's saying this. For your heavenly father knows that you need all these things. Whew! That's why I don't have to worry. He knows that I need those things. Look at verse 33. But this is what you should do. Shouldn't worry. Shouldn't complain. Shouldn't cry. Shouldn't freak out. Shouldn't do all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And when I seek God first, when I thank God first, when I involve God first at the beginning of the problem, all these things shall be added to you. What will be added to you? Well, the questions that you just asked right there. What am I going to eat? It's going to be added to you. What am I going to drink? It's going to be added to you. What am I going to wear? It's going to be added to you. All the needs that you have will be added to you when you involve him verse. And verse 34 says, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. A lot of you, this is going to be your first time going back to work in like a week and some change. And you're already ticked off that you got to go to work tomorrow. Don't worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow, we'll worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. 
I don't, I mean, they still exist because Maddie takes our kids there. But when's the last time you went to a library? I don't know. I went as a kid. For the younger generation, a library is a physical Google building where you can go there and touch physical books. And I remember going to the library as a kid, the central library, the biggest one we had in town. And you would go there for usually a specific reason for whatever paper we had to write. And it was always interesting that I would go, I was uh, a big uh, World War II fan was kind of the things I always wrote about. And they had this World War II section, the very far back side of the library. And there was never anybody there in that war section. So I had the whole row to myself. And I would be trying to find out about D-Day, or I, I'd try to find out about the planes that they used, or the weapons that they used, or, or the different stories of Pearl Harbor and all these different things. And as I would go, you would find that there wasn't just one book on Pearl Harbor. There were multiple books that I could, I could glean from and I could get information from. And then you'd go to the, the little kiosk area and you'd find the newspapers. And you'd put them on that machine, remember? And you'd, it was kind of like a Ouija board. You'd move it all around trying to find the newspaper article to figure out what to do with it. But then there was times where you'd go to the library and you didn't know what you needed. And you'd walk in there and you'd find... That there were just all of these books on working on cars or cooking or how to grow a plant or dinosaurs or all these different things that you didn't even know you needed. But because you found yourself in the place where the knowledge and the resources were, you had access to obtain those things. And we need to learn to give thanks to God when we have a need. Sometimes we don't even know what we need. That we can go to God and he is the God, the library God that is full of wealth and knowledge. That I might go to him needing an answer on my relationship, on my marriage, on how to raise my kids. And there might be something in this book in the Bible that I've never seen before or I've read time and time again. And God wants to give me a fresh revelation that I can thank God that I can go to him at any point, at any time. And it says that he hears my prayers. And the Bible says not only does he hear my prayers, but he answers my prayers. He responds to my prayers. And we make it a priority that the moment that we have need is not the moment that we freak out, the moment that we worry, the moment that we say, it's not enough, I can't put this here, I can't pay that, I can't do that. But we lift our hands like Jesus and say, thank you, God. Because we see as soon as he said, thank you, multiplication happened in that moment. The second truth, the second story in regards to Jesus giving thanks is give thanks in impossible situations. Give thanks in impossible situations. John chapter 11, we're jumping in to the middle of this story. You can read it. If you've been in church, you know the story of Lazarus. Jesus has shown up to a funeral not to pay his respects, but to ruin it. He didn't bring flowers. He didn't bring a cake. He brought with him his friend called Eternal Life. And he's now standing at the tomb of his good friend Lazarus, who has been dead for four days. 
that is very specific in regards to four days because it's believed after three days there's no way somebody can come back to life. He's been in there for a long time. And we pick up right at the point where they took the stone away from the place where the dead man was lying. And look at what Jesus did. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. What a great way to start a prayer. How many times do we pray and by the end of it, our last part of the prayer is, God, I hope you heard me. God, I hope you know what's going on. God, do you even hear what I'm saying? Do you care? Do I need to be in church to pray? Do I need to leave this? Do I need to stop doing that? But Jesus starts with giving thanksgiving that my Father has heard me. Boy, that should be a great way to start our prayers. Because that just changes everything. Because a lot of times when we're praying, we're hoping and we're wishing that our prayers get past the roof. Well, I know what I did this weekend. I know what I said. My wife reminds me all the time of what I did or didn't do. So there's no way God's going to listen and hear and respond to my prayers. But Jesus starts with, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. Verse 42. And I know, look at this, look how confident Jesus is in his prayer. And I know that you always hear me. Sometimes we pray really good prayers, don't we? And we get proud of them too. Boy, I, I knocked that prayer out the park. I know God heard that prayer. And then other times we just pray these random things. We're just babbling. God, I just need you to do this. And I feel like I've said the same thing 14 times and I don't know what to do and I don't know. And you think, well, God definitely didn't hear that one. He, he didn't understand that one at all. But Jesus continues his thanksgiving. Now remember, there are people all around him. They're crying, they're suffering. This man is dead, has been dead for a long time. And he starts his prayer with, thank you, Father, that you hear me. It's almost like he's bragging. And I thank you that you always hear me. The people next to him are like, I can't believe this guy. But because of the people who are standing by, now they're really ticked. I can't believe, he's talking to me. I'm standing right next to him. I have said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Verse 43. Now, when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. We need to be like God, be like Jesus, and learn to give thanks in impossible situations. There's no way that that man should have come back to, to life. He was dead. He was dead, dead. He was dead, 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 dead. Four days dead. And the reason he died is because he was sick. So in all reality, if he woke back up, then he would still be sick, right? If you died from sickness, if you were brought back to life, you would still have that sickness. It's at least how my little Cajun brain works. But he wakes up alive, and not only alive, but also healed of the sickness that killed him. And he came walking out and lived for a long time. You can read the scriptures. Lazarus, come forth, an impossible situation. And how does Jesus, when he's faced with an impossible situation, start it off? Well, I guess this is impossible. I tried. Let's go home, guys. He gave thanks. Two nights ago, we were putting Noah to bed, and after I got done praying with Noah, I was walking out of the room, and Eliza's been taking some baths, and, and we've been pampering her by uh, putting some candles in the bathroom and turning the lights off. 
So now she wants to take a bath all the time with the lights off and the candles. We've got to light 57 candles. It's a whole process now. We've just added more work to our nighttime. And so we have these, uh, these candle holders. And I was telling Noah, like, as I was holding the candle and I had lit it, and I was going back to the bathroom to, uh, she's yelling at me, more candles, Dad. I'm like, all right, calm down. I told Noah, I said, I said this is how they, they lit their house before electricity. They would light it. You know, we've all seen the Christmas story with Scrooge walking around holding the little candle thing. That's what we had. I said, they, they didn't have electricity, and so they just had candles everywhere, and they'd walk around, and that's how they had light. So we went to bed that night, and I prayed with Noah, and he, he asked me a question. I don't remember exactly what the question is, but he said, um, and I told him my answer to just kind of shut him up. I said, well, it's because of electricity. And I thought, that's a good enough answer. And so I started walking out, and he said, hey, Dad, what's electricity? And I held the door, and I was like, in my mind, I started thinking of the poles and the power grid and, and, and the wires, and, 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 and I started thinking, and I turned around. I said, it's too long of an answer. I said, I said I'll tell you tomorrow, and I shut the door. I thought, I have no idea. I hope he doesn't ask that question again. Because I have no idea how to explain electricity to him. Mike, you're our resident electrician, so after service, I'm going to send my son to you. <laughs> tell him what electricity is, and also tell me. Um, drawings would be preferable. And I thought, I, I don't know the answer. I, I don't know how to give it to him. I, I don't know the right words to say. It, it was an impossible question, and I didn't have a possible answer, but in Mark chapter 10, verse 27, but Jesus looked at them, and I want you to know that Jesus is looking at you today, and he's saying the same thing, with men, it is impossible. All right, that's, re that's encouraging God, but, with, but not with God, for with God, all things are possible. You might not have the answer to your situation. How's this going to work? How's this going to fix? How's this going to recover? How's this going to change? How's... You might not have the answer. You might be asking God the impossible question. What is electricity? And you're like, I don't know. I don't know how to fix it. I don't know what to do. God, help me. I don't know how to pray it. I don't know how to do that. But you come to God with thanksgiving for an impossible situation because God is a God who can turn the impossible into possible. And so I'm going to involve him in my impossible situation because he's the only one that can make it possible. My wife can't fix it. My kids can't fix it. The doctor can't fix it. The bank can't fix it. My job can't fix it. I've tried to fix it myself internally, and I can't fix myself. So I'm going to go to God with thanksgiving and know that he can change the impossible, the thing that I don't know. He can reveal it to me and make it possible. Give thanks in impossible situations. And the last thing the last story we're talking about is give thanks for what Jesus did. Give thanks for what Jesus did. In Luke chapter 22, verse 19, the last story we have of Jesus giving thanks. And it's something that we talk about and something that we quote all the time, at least once a month, in regards to communion. This is the Last Supper. This is the Passover meal. And Jesus is introducing communion to his disciples. And he took the bread... And look what he did. He gave thanks. And he broke the bread and he gave it to the disciples saying, this is my body 
Look at this, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Do this in remembrance of me. This is my body, which is given. It's not taken. It's not arrested. It's not forced. Jesus is saying, this is my body. He hasn't gone to the cross yet. He hasn't gotten punched yet. He hasn't got a crown of thorns placed upon his head. Not one nail has touched him. Not one whip has struck his back. Nothing has happened. And he's sitting there with his disciples in this private room. And he's saying, this is my body, which is broken for you. And before he does that, the first thing he does is he gives thanks. Knowing what he's about to do. Knowing the price that he's about to pay. That he's willingly offering up his body and offering him up as a sacrifice for you, for me, and for humanity. The crazy thing is, is that Jesus, before he ever goes to the cross, believes in what his price is going to be. Jesus believes in what he's about to do. More than a lot of people in the church and outside the church believe what Jesus did today. Before Jesus goes to the cross, he says, I give thanks that I give my body to you. He knows what he's about to endure. He knows what's about to happen. And he's freely choosing to do that for you and for me. And he starts that off by giving thanks. That should give you confidence that if Jesus believed in the sacrifice that he was about to do on the cross was going to be enough to take care of your sin and your sickness and the penalty and the discrepancy between you and God and to pay off that debt, if Jesus believed in it, then I should believe in it too. If Jesus gave thanks and said, I think they're going to break my body. It's probably going to hurt, guys. I'm real scared. I don't know if it's going to work. I don't want to die. This is all wrong. I don't know what's going on. I might not be the one. I'm sorry. It doesn't record that, though. He gave thanks, and he showed the disciples what was going to happen. He broke the bread and said, this is my body, which I freely give to you. And if we can trust that Jesus trusts in his sacrifice, then we can trust that that sacrifice is enough for you in whatever situation is going on. That we can give thanks that Jesus yelling out on the cross, it is finished, was enough to help you in whatever your situation is. And that we can give thanks that in him, all the promises and the blessings of the new covenant are yes now. And they are amen, which means let it be. Let it be in my life. My dad is a mechanic. And he's taught me a little bit throughout the years of what I could retain on how to work on a car. Mainly, the main thing that I learned was how to hold a flashlight. It doesn't do anything to fix a car, but man, when my car messes up and I pop the hood and I lean over and click the flashlight, I kill it every time. Now, there's nobody next to me to fix the car, but man, I, I just go and do this. All right. Thanks, Dad. Thanks for teaching me. But I might not know the answer to how to fix a car. A couple months back, my car had an issue. I didn't know what it was. We were leaving the Peachy's house. We had some friends in town. And my truck on the bottom of the little odometer thing said power decrease or power shut down. And I said, well, I didn't tell you to shut down. I didn't tell you to decrease power. Increase power. Go. Be free. Use all your V8. And it didn't do that. So I went home and I parked it and I opened the hood 
and I dug in my garage, and I found my flashlight, and I leaned over, and I clicked it on. I said, all right, I clicked it off, and I brought it to a mechanic, because <laughs> I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what it was. I didn't know what happened, but I knew who could fix it. I knew who had the answer, and so I brought it to them, and guess what? They fixed it. They found it. They found the piece. They said, well, it could be this sensor. It could be that sensor. It could be this sensor in the pedal or two other sensors in the engine. They said, well, it was just one of the three, and we changed it out, and the power came back. I said, praise God. But so many times in our own lives, we laugh, but we go get the flashlight, and we click it over ourselves because we think that we could do something to fix something in our lives, and it does nothing. Turning that flashlight on just shines how much more we need a Savior. And so I need to give thanks in what Jesus did and take this broken body and take this broken spirit and take this broken soul to the mechanic who already paid the price, who knows the answer, who knows how to fix me. And I come to him and I say, God, I don't know what to do. It's an impossible situation. I have all these needs, and I don't know what to do. But I thank you, God, that you sent your son to die on the cross and be buried in the tomb and rise again the third day. And he took care of my sins, and he took care of my sickness. And I can believe that you've taken me out of darkness and brought me into light. And now that you can heal me and restore me, and you can save me, and you can help me. And if it's good enough for Jesus, that it's good enough for me. So whenever you come into a situation, the first thing you should do, like Jesus, is give thanks. And in every one of those stories, feeding the 5,000, feeding the 4,000, raising Lazarus from the dead, and giving thanks at the Last Supper before he went to the cross, nothing had happened. Nothing happened. There was no miracle up to that point. There were five to 10,000 people. We've got 30 people here today that are all hungry and waiting on me to get done so you can eat. Think about five to 10,000 people all hungry after a service. I guarantee you, Jesus went longer than 30, 45 minutes in his preaching. <laughs> so be thankful that Jesus isn't your pastor. <laughs> and he took them out to a mountain place. He didn't take them near a Hardee's or near meeting on Main. He took them out and said, here's a mountain and we're out in the middle of nowhere and got no place to eat. But before anything had changed in the situation, before anything had happened, before a miracle had ever happened, there was a need, there was an impossible situation, he had not gone to the cross, Jesus decided to give thanks. And as soon as he gave thanks, something changed. Something happened. I wrote this, before any fish or bread multiplied, before there was any movement in the tomb, and before he ever went to the cross. But after Jesus gave thanks to the Father, then the situation changed. Single digits multiplied into thousands. After he gave thanks, the dead came back to life. After he gave thanks, the Son of God became a Son of Man so that he could die for your sins and make an opening for you to now become a Son of God. It says in the Scriptures that we were enemies and foreigners of God. But now we are brought into his family and we are now sons and daughters. Remember, if it worked for Jesus, then it'll work for you. So give thanks 
like Jesus when you're faced with a need. Give thanks like Jesus when you're faced with an impossible situation. Give thanks like Jesus for the completed work of Christ on the cross. The last scripture I have. I, script, I skipped a scripture, but that's fine. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. Now thanks be to God. Look at this. Who always, not sometimes, not maybe, not hopefully, but always leads us. Leads us where? In triumph, in victory, in overcoming. But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph. How? In Christ. And that we give thanksgiving because of Christ. And through us diffuses the fragrance of knowledge in every place that we go. You might be in a storm. You might be coming out of a storm. Or you might be about to walk into a storm. But it says here, because God is on your side and the victory is next to you in Christ. Everywhere you go, you diffuse the fragrance of the knowledge of Christ. In the middle of the storm, you're diffusing the fragrance of the knowledge of Christ. If you just come out of the storm and you're tired and you're weary and you're trying to regain your strength, you're diffusing the fragrance of the knowledge of Christ everywhere you go. If you're on the verge of entering a storm, don't worry. Don't be fearful, but be at peace as you diffuse the fragrance of the knowledge of Christ everywhere you go. If it worked for Jesus, I guarantee you it'll work for him. This week, make it a choice Instead of freaking out about the storm, give thanks to God first and watch the miracle show up. Amen. Let's stand up as we get ready to go. Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you for your son. Father, we thank you for your gospel message. That the gospel message is the power, it says in Romans, to change our lives. It is the power to heal and restore and save our souls. And that gospel message is that God sent his son, Jesus, to die on a cross for my sins and for our sins. And he was buried in a tomb and he rose again the third day. And it says if anybody believes, if anybody confesses that true gospel message, then we're forever changed. We're no longer enemies of God, but we are now sons and daughters of the Most High God. We're no longer destined for hell, but we're destined for heaven. And we're changing the course of our life. And we say thank you for the completed work of Christ, of what he did on the cross. That here I am on earth, God is on my side, and victory is with me everywhere I go. Miracle signs and wonders follow me because I believe. Father, I thank you for these people. We're all going to, in some way, shape, or form, Jesus said it, we're going to have tribulation in our lives. But we don't have to worry because his peace is with us and guiding us. And he's going to lead us and guide us because he has victory over the world. And if he has victory over the world and he's inside of me, then I have victory over the world. Father, help these people today. They don't let their first words be, I'm worried, I'm fearful, I'm frustrated, I'm dumb. But let their first words be this week, thank you, God, for the victory. Thank you, God, for helping me meet my needs. Thank you, God, for helping me in this impossible situation. Father, thank you for the completed work of your son on the cross that's going to help me get through whatever the situation is. Father, I pray scripture over these people right now, and I bless them today. Father, I thank you that it says that they are the head and not the tail. They are above and not beneath. They're blessed in the city. They're blessed in the field. They are blessed where they are right now, and they're blessed in the future that you're bringing them into. Father, I thank you that everything they put their hands to prospers. Father, I thank you that the favor of God surrounds them like a shield, and they have favor with God and with man. Father, I thank you that no weapon formed against them shall prosper. Every tongue that rises against them, even their own tongue, we condemn in the name of Jesus.
Father, I thank you that by Jesus' stripes, they are already healed. Father, I thank you that they are the salt and light of the earth, a city set on a hill that refuses to be hidden. Father, use us this week to shine our light. Use us this week to diffuse the fragrance of the knowledge of Christ everywhere we go, to friends, family, work, wherever we go. Let us see Jesus in us. Now, Father, bless your people, protect your people, cause them to prosper in everything they do, and bring them back safely next Sunday. And Father, for those that are staying and eating with us, Father, let this food be a nourishment to our bodies. Let us have a good time as we set up these trees, and let us have a good restful day as we go into next week. In Jesus' name, amen. God is on your side. You are victorious. God bless you. We love you. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to Press Church Podcast. If you would like more information about us or are interested in giving to our ministry, you can click the link in our bio or visit presschurch.org. Don't forget to follow us on social media at Press Church SC and have a great week.